You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. We good? Rock and roll. Welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Coinfield. My guest today is the great Rob Penty, formerly, hey. formerly of The Imposters, as you would know if you checked out his bio <laughs> on the website, but also currently of The Wrath. And by currently, I mean for the last several years. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you for having me. I have a, I want to get right into the controversy. Sure. So I have a question I've been meaning to ask you for a long time. Uh-huh. You're, you're very vocal on your blog mm. about uh, not liking Stella. Yeah. I've seen your reference a bunch of times how much Stella pisses you off. Big now, time, yeah. Now you and I go back a long time. Yeah. We've never talked about this. Okay. I like Stella a lot. Are you serious? Let's get into it. Jesus Christ. Tell me, tell me what pisses you off about Stella. Uh, it's uh, men in their mid-30s doing dick jokes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> They're fucking, every single one is, there's a dildo in yeah. every single one. Yeah. Um, I also don't like the tone of it. Yeah. I don't like their sort of like, Michael, Michael, yeah. and David, and like that sort of, um, it's, it's snark for the sake of snark's sake. Hmm. Also, I love the state I love like every single state sketch mm. is amazing to me. So like I came here and I was like, oh man, three of the state guys are doing something and it's Stella and like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And I like watched the shorts and I was like, what are you doing? Like <laughs> I have a, I have a thing where like, and when other people like something and I don't get it, like it makes me angry. <laughs> like I'm just sort of like, I would like just sort of like take a breath, go away for it for a while and then like come back and like, put up the, uh, the video and be like, all right, I'm going to figure out why we like this. (laughs) And like, it just never, I could never ever do it. Hmm. Well, let's draw a line though between the shorts and then the TV show. There there are a lot less dick jokes. Yeah. Actually the TV show on comedy central wasn't that bad. Okay. Like I actually enjoyed a few of those episodes. Okay. So we've, we've found a point of connection now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the shorts are all dildo jokes. Yeah. There's a dildo in every single, every single one. Um, uh, they mercifully cut that out of the Comedy Central show. Yeah, I was like, can they even put this on Comedy Central? Because it's very dildo-centric. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I guess kind of like very insight. It's like them goofing around with their friends for the shorts. That's the thing. And that's what I sort of really resented. It was almost like... So I um, was actually in a sketch comedy group briefly with Kevin Allison because mm-hmm. um, I took like a class of his. He was like, he was out of comedy for a very long time. And then like he t- taught some classes and formed a group and, um, I was one of the people in it. And one of the classes, he actually, um, Michael Showalter came and like talked to us. And I think David Wayne did too. And one of the things that Michael Showalter said was, if it's funny to you and your friends, you can make it funny to an audience. Mm -hmm. And I completely disagree. Mm -hmm. I think that you are at your dumbest when you're with your friends. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And like the stuff that, um, like, uh, one time my friend John and I were in a Taco Bell and like we were getting our silverware and um, the label on the uh, thing for the plastic said knives, K-N-I-F-E-S. To this day, that is one of the funniest things to both him and me. It's hilarious. Yeah. Like I can just say to him knives and we will both crack up because we like, and like, how dumb is that? Like I've known him since kindergarten. That's why that's funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not like, so like I really believe that when you're with your friends, it's the dumb stuff that like really gets you. Right there, there has to be like a long history of shared references before those little things. Like like I feel like Monty Python at this stage can get away with like a knife's 
joke. Yeah, because there's so much of a sense of history to Monty Python that if it's funny to them, it'll be funny to their fans. Yeah, a little bit. And also, but that's also the kind of thing where it's almost like you think it's funny because you want to be like in on the joke with them. Sure, yes. And I think that, I guess I just think that comedy should be a bit more presentational. Yeah. Where like you don't need context to, it's like, oh, if you know these guys, you'll get this. Right, yeah. Like I don't think you need to know these guys. I think that you should just go to see something or I think the thing should speak for itself. I always have, uh, um, when I'm watching shows, when I was doing Megawatt, I was really sensitive to this. It was, it really bugged me when I was watching shows because Uh I I would always watch the show through the eyes of the person who has never seen any of this before. Right. And, and I, I always feel weird when I don't feel like performers are protecting that or aware of that or, or are are kind of not making it comprehensible for somebody who has no context whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. I, I hate that assumption. Yeah, it, for sure. That you already get this and you already like this and you already find this funny. Yeah, definitely. I think like um uh like openings for people who've never seen improv before are like really odd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just even I mean I still find them odd and I've been doing this for a very long time, you yeah. know, but like yeah, that's definitely a thing. Uh, the the flip side to that to to the note about like if it's funny to you yeah. is a story that I heard about Bob Odenkirk in the writers room for Mr. Show uh-huh. where um, there was like a sketch that wasn't working and, uh-huh. and instead of moving on he was like insisting and demanding to know what about this sketch was funny yeah. because Bob Odenkirk's take is if it made you laugh initially if there's something to it that you find funny yeah. that means that there's something worthwhile in it yeah, but absolutely. He, he apparently can be kind of an asshole about he's going to keep your feet to the fire until you figure out how to make it something professional and shareable that other people can get. Yeah, totally. What, I I think that's I think that's totally valid and yes. I would share that philosophy. Yeah. In terms of like cuz I've also been in groups where you've done a sketch and it, it, you've done it, you've rehearsed it a few times and you've stopped finding the initial thing funny and then you tack on something else mm-hmm. that like makes it like, at least in the case of the sketch group, sketch group I was in, it made it like dumb and absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like when you present it to an audience, they didn't see the first part. Right. They're just seeing like the, the, the A to C sketch. They're just seeing the C, you know what I mean? And like, so you've just sort of ruined something. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like a cheap out, isn't it? Like just making something uh, like uh, random and absurd. Yeah. It, at this point feels like, that's such the easy thing to do if you don't know how else to make it funny or you don't know how else to crack a premise. You just throw in something that doesn't fit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I get like, so this is interesting because I just watched the um, AV Club posted like an oral history of, of the Saturday Night Live potato chip astronaut sketch. Have you I seen don't this? know that one. <laughs> it's, it's a Will Forte, Jason Sudeikis sketch uh-huh. where uh, Jason Sudeikis plays a Southern gentleman after the mold of Colonel Sanders who is having his final interview with NASA to become an astronaut. Uh-huh. And he has to take his last astronaut test before he's warmly accepted into the organization. But Will Forte has to go get the test first. Uh-huh. But before he gets up for the test, Will Forte lets him know, oh, by the way, here's a bowl of potato chips. Don't eat any of these potato <laughs> chips because I haven't eaten yet and I'm really hungry. And I want a potato chip. So then he leaves and Jason Sudeikis and eats one potato chip. And then Will Forte comes in, notices immediately that one potato chip is missing, counts 34 potato chips and tells him that there were 35 potato chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and then forces him to vomit the potato chip back into his hand. Uh-huh. It's a whole big thing. It's like a seven minute long sketch. It goes on forever. Yeah. It makes no fucking sense. Yeah. It's like a mini Tennessee Williams play. Yeah. These characters don't make sense at all. There's nothing like NASA about it. Yeah. No one's laughing in the audience. <laughs> yeah. And I love it to pieces. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. Because, because the randomness of the sketch is like built into the very premise. Yeah, totally. It doesn't feel like a Hail Mary thing to try to save something where you've lost a sense of direction. It, it like it starts with this idea of what if we just put two people together in the situation who absolutely do not belong there yeah. and never call question to it. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of Will Forte sketches from Saturday Night Live are extraordinarily random like yeah, that. Yeah. There was one where like he, I forget what, but it was like he had a, a, a closet full of empty water cooler <laughs> containers and he just like opened it and he just sat there while, I don't know, maybe like 50 empty water cooler containers like fell out of the, out of the, um, the closet. And there was another one where like, yeah, it was again like, um, just a completely unfunny sketch where like Josh Brolin was the host, I mm. guess. And like he said before they went out, he goes like, all right guys, let's go shut these people up because <laughs> like, he knew that it was going to die. Um, yeah, I, there is ran- randomness for the sake of randomness. Yeah. That's, it's always a, it's such a funny, the line. Cause like the other state sketch that's so brilliant to me that is so stupid and so random is is Taco Man the Taco mm. Mail? Mm. You've seen that, right? I must have. I I, I don't have a great memory for state sketches. Oh, okay. Not. Like it, it, the state didn't make as much of an impact on me as it did to to everybody else around me. Yeah, gotcha. It's the one where the mailman delivers tacos instead of the mail. <laughs> That's it. That's the. You know what I mean? That's the premise. Yeah. And like they just sort of like the guy just has to come out and basically be like, so uh, I really like the tacos, but where's our mail? <laughs> you know, and it's just a very matter of fact discussion about like giving him tacos instead of mail. And yeah. like, it's, I, I kind of like don't understand when I see a sketch and I'm like, where did that come from? Um, I'm like sometimes frustrated and other times like blown away. Yeah, right. Um, usually frustrated, but <laughs> like that's one of them where I was like, what, what are they even making fun of like yeah. what's the is there a thing is there a joke here and it's i don't know sometimes you just have to you just have to go with it i think yeah it's exciting when you see like those those ideas that are just like inspired and and yeah. there's no real reason either somebody just had like was feeling burned out at two o'clock in the morning and yeah. came up with the stupidest thing ever yeah or like a stroke of genius hit uh, on the bus ride home <laughs> it, it is kind of cool sometimes when you don't know exactly where an idea is emerging from and then you just take it seriously and push it to its conclusion i just i would just listen to the matt weir episode mm-hmm. of this and uh they were talking about the the sketch where they the the two characters that were like just characters on their hats uh-huh. and they had like like hands that were uh like <laughs> that they worked with uh i don't know uh what did, he, what did he say? They had like these paper hands coming yes. off of the hats as well. Yeah. And I saw this sketch and they had this. And one of the things that they were doing was like they were like selling ping pong balls. Yeah. And all the ping pong balls fell out and they tried to pick up the ping pong using balls. Using the paper hands. Using the paper hands. <laughs> yeah. It was unbelievably stupid and the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like yeah. it's in the top 10 of like funny things that I've seen. I was like, where did this come from? But I 
really respect it <laughs> at the same time. Matt, Matt Weir, Jay Weir did a, um, did a one person bit one time where it was just his like political platform. He's a political candidate and uh-huh. he's like doing his like thing and he's running on a let's close the wolf cage platform. <laughs> did you ever see that? No. His whole message is I stand for closing the wolf cage <laughs> because every night the wolf gets out of his cage, <laughs> he attacks people. <laughs> it's very violent. So I'm all for let's close that wolf cage. <laughs> it, the stupidest idea in the world. It's so it's still one of my favorite one of my favorite single bits I've ever seen. Yeah. It's so funny. And I, I I was thinking about it the other day of like I know why that's funny. Yeah. But why in like from like a broader perspective, from like a bird's eye view, yeah. Why are we so delighted to waste our time <laughs> exploring stupid ideas and taking stupid ideas so seriously? It, you know what I mean? Like yeah. like I and I guess I'm I'm thinking of like I read this book one time that made the argument that like, well, laughter feels so good. Uh Laughter feels so good that there must be some kind of biological purpose for it to feel so good. It it must do something really important. Uh And the argument that this book was making is that laughter has a way of um, calling your attention in a very pleasurable way to faulty thinking. Yeah. Uh, drawing drawing reasonable conclusions from an unreasonable premise or drawing unreasonable conclusions from what seems to be a reasonable premise. Yeah. Things that would normally kind of, um, like a virus that would get into our own uh-huh. computer. Uh-huh. Our ability to find that funny is is sort of like an antivirus thing. Yeah. It spots... It spots that something unusual is happening, oh, and it okay. calls attention to it by making it feel so good. It rewards you for having spotted it. Oh, I gotcha, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. Which is like, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Mm-hmm. And so much of comedy, and certainly so much of sketch comedy, boils down to taking a really stupid idea, yeah, setting up in a way where it's just believable enough that you accept the premise, and then letting the stupidity fly. Yeah. So like, I get the mechanics of of why something is funny. I, yeah. I get the science of how to build a joke. Yeah. But then when you just like remove yourself from it, and you're like, okay, even though I get why this works why am I still attracted to like looking at this shit to begin with? Once I know that we've spotted that this is completely idiotic. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Like what keeps up? Why am I still hooked on this yeah, stuff? I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. Yeah. Once you dissect like what funny is, um, how do you keep going back to it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I guess you just sort of refine your taste a little bit. Yeah. Or, yeah, because there are things that are definitely like my sense of humor and like by the very nature of saying, oh, this is my sense of humor, it should be like taking the power away from that thing. Because if you know the trick, right, then it shouldn't work on you anymore. But it doesn't. It totally doesn't. It totally yeah. stays fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's just sort of like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, let me think. Like, what I mean... I mean, part of it, I guess, is just like you appreciate the the, the technique behind it. You appreciate, yeah, you appreciate a job well. well done. Exactly. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. I guess part of it, too, is like uh, there's just something wonderful about like sheer stupidity. Yeah, totally. 
I mean, in the, in the case of even like the, the shut the wolf cage thing that you just said, like there is like an inherent premise there. Cause like, it's like, so I'm a very, like, I consider myself like a pretty left brained person. Mm -hmm. And like, I think of things in terms of variables, you know what I mean? And like, if you look at that, like, what are the variables? Like you see a person um, giving like a political speech, like that's like, those variables are all like equal to reality. You know what I mean? Like person in a suit, like speaking in this voice, like, you know, all of these things are, um, what we expect, you know what I mean? But then like take like one variable. So instead of saying like, I, you know, I believe healthcare should be reformed. And that's what you take that instead of healthcare reform, mm -hmm. it's close the wolf cage door. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So everything else is the same. It's like that, uh, Ian Roberts thing, the white canvas with the, with the blue line, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you keep the, the canvas white so that everything, the one thing that stands out, um, makes sense like or, or is what draws your attention. Right. And now you could take that premise with like, instead of like a healthcare, like, I don't know something stupid, like, uh, I can't even come up with something, but like, some, but like, the, I think the thing that's funny about that is like, it's so absurd and has so little to do with, um, politics or anything like closing the wolf. Cause also what wolf cage, what are you even talking about? Right. Like that extra going the extra mile of absurdity. You know what I mean? Well, like and the fact that there's a whole community of people who are even debating whether or not we should close yeah, the wolf Exactly. Cage. And all these things are sort of, it's, it's sort of like your mind creates like if he, yeah, if he's defending this position, then there must be a debate in a, <laughs> right. in a town hall somewhere where right. it's like, well, I think we should keep the wolf cage door open. That, that, that wolf's, Real nice to me sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like people screaming at each other. Um, that's like, yeah. Oh, the thing that I've been liking a lot lately is click hole. Like that sort of like the absurd, like really absurd click hole stuff um, is like my sense of humor at the moment. Like I really enjoy like things that just make no sense whatsoever. Yeah. The recent one was like, um, apparently our web data indicates that Pikachu breastfeeding Barack Obama would get enough clicks. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to put that here right now. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't get any weirder than that. Yeah. Um, and that's really funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Well, you see like going back to the wolf cage for a second. Yeah. You, you do see where there would be like a survival advantage yeah. to, to finding stuff. To like, closing the wolf cage. Well, certainly, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Uh, um, cause like the whole trick to the wolf cage thing is that the tone of it has to sound like you're making a, a reasonable plea for like exactly. reform. Yeah. And, and I, I think it has to do with just the way that we're kind of wired up that like once we're familiar with something, we don't really pay it too much attention. Yeah. And there's a real danger in, in us accepting certain premises or accepting certain information that could be very detrimental. Yeah but we're going to accept it because once we're familiar with the tone, once it seems recognizable, we just don't think about it. Yeah. So comedy or that kind of comedy, the, the, the kind of sketch approach to comedy is certainly kind of all about finding a way to replicate the tone of realistic situations. Yeah. Uh, uh, you take it totally straight and you commit to the setup, you commit to the straight part of it. Yeah, exactly. But then it's just about like, how stupid can we make the stupid part of this? Yeah, totally. Um, What's funny about the click hole thing is like, do you remember when the Dana Carvey show was on for like half a season? In the I never watched days? it. I've only Nobody ever like, watched it. Yeah, I've only ever like read the "Can you believe this staff of writers?" things about that. It's a great story. Yeah, because it was the, it was stacked with like some yeah. of the best writers in comedy. Totally. And 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 uh, 
Colbert and Carell Colbert were, and Carell were, were, were cast it. members. Yeah. And, um, there's some of those sketches are, are, are really amazing. Have you ever seen the, um, the waiters who are nauseated by food? Uh, sketch I think on YouTube. So. Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's really good. And the, like the, the pranks thing. Hilarious. Like, yeah. Where they like just shovel up an old lady's driveway and then yeah. run away without getting paid. And yeah. like, that's the prank. They drive to the, uh, to like the takeout window at like a McDonald's and pay for their food in the driveway before they get in their food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They, well, it, Oh, and Germans who say nice things. That's hilarious. Th- yeah. That is one of the, that's one of the best things I've ever, it's, yeah, I've ever seen. It's a great idea for a show. Part of what's like so funny about it is like, they didn't bother to do any research. Like they didn't realize that the show was on after home improvement. Yeah. Yeah. That's a part that I read. Were you going to bring up the uh, bre- like Bill Clinton breastfeeding puppies? Yeah, the yeah. very first. The, That's the, the very opening first sketch. opening sketch where it's like, um, uh, yeah, and like even I think it, who was it? Uh, was it Smigel? Was like, yeah, we we were on after Home Improvement, and like that's what we decided to lead with. And none of them had seen Home Improvement, or like even thought for a second about like, well, the audience that's watching this is now going to be exposed to Bill Clinton breastfeeding. Yeah, a litter exactly. Of <laughs> like, and that's the kind of yeah, and that's a, that's another kind of thing where it's like that sort of like that like indignance of like, we think this is funny and we don't care about the audience. Yeah. That actually upsets me a little. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't like that. And like, that sort of like links back to like the Stella thing. It's sort of like, um, we just sort of, this is what we want to put out there. Context be damned. And I don't care. Like I, if the audience like turns it off, good. You know what I mean? It's like, all yeah. right, you know, like don't, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't like that kind of, that kind of like abrasiveness when it comes to these things. I agree. I, and I do have mixed feelings on it because I feel like on the one hand, it's like, well, that stuff all makes for great stories, but then yeah. it's great stories about shows that, that nobody ever watched because yeah. you alienated your audience immediately. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other side to it is many of the comedians that I admire have a career that are littered with these things where they didn't really give a fuck about how what they were doing was going to be perceived. Yeah. And it was like a massive failure, but it, developed uh, like a kind of um, stubbornness on their part to create the kind of material that they want to be creating. Yeah. And yeah, for, yeah. from like a long game approach. Yeah. I, the I, long I, game. I do admire that. Yeah, totally. Did you hear um, Mark Maron's interview with uh, Mike Myers? Uh, yes. It gave me a lot of respect for Mike Myers. Yeah. 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 He, just from like the amount of shit he went through because he, he, he has a reputation oh, for being really difficult. Yeah. For Wayne's world. Yeah. Yeah. But hearing his side of why he was being difficult and just like kind of refusing sense. to compromise, it made yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. It's again. Yeah. And it's a fine line where it's sort of like, well, like, yeah, we want to have guns and roses instead of Bohemian Rhapsody right. or whatever. And it's sort of like, and no, I'm going to walk off set if you do that. I yeah, refuse. exactly. Um, yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah. And that I do admire that, you know what I mean? Because, and he was right too. Like people still play Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, and like to this day. And yeah. I think it was, nobody had thought of that song yeah. in 1992 when that movie came out. Totally. And think um, about how iconic that is. I mean, that, yeah. of all the SNL movies, that's the one that's on the map. And that's the one that if yeah. you watch it to this day is still a really funny movie. Yeah, totally. I'll even watch Wayne's World too. I mean, <laughs> it has its moments. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. The British, the British, uh, roadie guy del 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 preston preston or paxton or something like that yeah 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 um i think yeah totally so yeah it's it's when you pick your battles what what it is you think you're doing the other story is the uh the brain candy one Mm -hmm. have you heard that one about um the the kids in the hall did their movie brain candy and i think they on um the show they had a cancer boy sketch Mm -hmm. And like a kid, like a make a wish kid, like asked like an athlete to like do something in a game for him. And 
he lost the game or something. And, uh, they were like, so what were you thinking out there? And he's just like, I don't know. I just, I think it was cancer boy's fault. You know what I mean? And, and so, yeah. So he like this athlete, like blames it on like the make a wish kid. Right. It's kind of a funny such sketch. A, it's such a horrible idea. It's, such it's, a, yeah, it's terrible. But like they put cancer boy in brain candy mm-hmm. and all it is, is just this weak little boy played by Bruce McCullough. Yeah. And like, it's about a drug that makes you happy. And they're like, are you on the drug? He's like, no, but my parents are. And it's like, and I, I watched that and I was like, that is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful. Yeah. They fought so hard to keep cancer boy in because like the people saw that, like, you got to take that out. That's terrible. Yeah. And they're like, we are not going to compromise. Like, even though, I mean, those guys do have a pretty punk rock. Um, what's the word? Uh, aesthetic yeah. or attitude. Um, and then they watched the movie and they're like, we really should have cut that. That yeah. was, that was not cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So sometimes like, yeah, this like sort of like thumbing your nose at authority thing. I don't know. It, uh, it works sometimes, but other times it's just sort of like you're doing it just for the sake of doing it. Well, I think it's like mistaking authority for like, I don't know the right word for this, but, but like, I don't know. Your, your audience is like in it with you, right? Like mm-hmm. it, so it, it, it just like thumbing your nose at authority is one thing. Alienating your audience is, yeah. is another thing. And there's a difference. And sometimes, yeah. And there's a difference between those two things for and, sure. And I guess you fuck it up sometimes too, because like there is a, a thing of like, well, I do, I want to, I, like, I, 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 I kind of admire this about certain comedians because this is not at all the cloth that I'm cut from Yeah, uh, of like, I, I want to shock people a little bit or, or yeah. I want to I, I cause a reaction and I don't care what the reaction is. Yeah. That, that to me is like, I don't operate on that. Level. I don't either. Yeah, for sure. So, so there is something of like people like Adam McKay or people like Dino Stamatopoulos or, or, yeah. or, or any of those guys or Louis CK yeah. where like they, they kind of have that where it's like, let's do something that's going to be interesting. That's going to get a rise out of people. Yeah. It doesn't always work, but there, there is sort of like an element of like, well, let's test it and see. Yeah. That is kind of like worthwhile, but it's probably like a 50, 50 shot of, of. Yeah, it is. I also feel just sort of like, um, I sort of resent the fact that like those people, I don't know. It it depends on what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like I I sort of sometimes can resent, like you think that this was going to shock me and like make me change my worldview. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. So like you sort of wasted my time with this bit and um, I don't know, sort of like, not insulted me, but like, I don't know, like usually like really provocative comedy that like challenges you. It's yeah. sort of like, uh, okay. I get, I don't know. It just, it rarely speaks to me. Like I'd rather have an honest discussion about that. I'd rather just have like a literal discussion about ideas totally, and not, I don't think, I mean, I think, I don't know. Like I just don't view comedy as, um, a, vehicle for change mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i don't see why just like talking about something outright doesn't work does, does that make sense it like, does I don't know. yeah it does uh, um and yeah yeah i forget who said it but like there's some kind of quote about like satire yeah kind of like making fun of the people who 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 their thing is like expand your mind with comedy and yeah. be a better person and make a political dent with satire and like the response is like yeah all that all that 
all that like Weimar era satire really stopped Hitler in his tracks. Yeah, 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 I've heard that. It would, it, you know, like is fairly true. So, like, uh, to get like really broad about it, then what is like your in with comedy? What is it about? I, I, what's the question here? What is it about comedy that I like, or like what is? Yes, isn't yeah. that a shitty question? No, that's totally cool. <laughs> I don't know. I guess like what is it that speaks to you? And yeah, let's go with that. I don't know. I think like. I was probably just like escapism when I was a kid. Yeah. And that seems like a really weak answer. And I'm kind of ashamed of myself for that answer. Just saying like, I just like to be entertained so I don't have to think. Uh, but that's not really what I mean. I guess like, so um, my first real comedy special was um, Bill Cosby himself. Mm-hmm. And like, it sucks now that Bill Cosby is Bill Cosby. Um, but like that, album changed my life. Do you know what I mean? Like I, do you know, sorry to cut you off. I've never heard Bill Cosby stand up ever. Really? Yeah. You've never heard Bill Cosby himself. Never. It's amazing. It's like, uh, especially cause like it works when I first heard it, when I was like seven to when I was, you know, I'm 39 now. Yeah. So, you know, it's still like awesome. I don't know. I just, I thought, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I, I just thought it was so cool. And, um, and then, like, throughout um, high school, like, the sort of the stand-up comedy boom was happening, and there was, like, stand-up, stand-up on TV and, and um, you know, Comic Strip Live, Short Attention Span Theater. I still love Comic Strip Live. Yeah, all that stuff. And it was just, like, and, and like sort of, like, a way to, like, sort of bond with friends over, like, the kind of bits that you really liked. Um, and, uh, like, one of the classic bits, for, like, the... Uh, this really classic bit from that era, like Randy Kagan talking about like otter scrubbers. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Like, it's sort of like, um, Oh yeah. Like, uh, like lumberjacks are still cutting down trees. So the lumberjacks don't like, um, lose their jobs. And he's like, that's, inc- that's like encouraging some more oil spills. So those otter scrubbers don't go belly up. Mm-hmm. And like, he just went off on this rant. Like, I, I hope anybody listening to this has any idea what I'm talking about, but it's like just this classic bit that like b- I bonded with friends over. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, comedy, um, was just like a, it's like a joyful thing for me. Yeah. Uh, that sounds so lame to say, but like it, no, it that was. makes sense. Yeah. It, it, like you find your people, there's that great scene in freaks and geeks. Did you watch freaks and geeks? Yeah, absolutely. There's that awesome scene when he finally uh, dates the girl that he's been in love with forever. Yeah. Yeah. And takes her to see the jerk and she's not laughing at any of it. And, yeah. and it's the first time he like sees her in a different. Yeah, lens. totally. And it, it totally is like it, 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 it does help you kind of like, learn who your people are a little bit. A shared sensibility is a big thing. A friend of mine in college who like, I sort of like, I didn't get along with very much. And then it's just sort of like, you like the state? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I like the state. And then we like talked about the pudding sketch and we've been very good friends ever since. Like, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's just sort of knowing who, yeah, knowing who your people are, I think. There are, there, there is a, um, like I have memories of being in college and, and of just like making eye contact. Some, somebody in a room, does yeah. something or says something obnoxious and everybody ignores it, but you make eye contact with one person across the room and you just know like, yeah. all right, we have a, a shared wavelength on this one. Yeah, definitely. Because people's brains do hum at different frequencies. Yeah, for sure. It's not to knock anybody, but like yeah. there's different music coming out of different people's brains and, and comedy is a pretty good way to, to kind of teach you who, who you harmonize with. Yeah, exactly. There's also like for me, certainly as a kid too, I think like, there is like an element of like 
Oh, comedy gives you courage in a way. Mm. Like in the same way as like, um, I'm a big horror movie guy. Yeah. And I was thinking about this of like, what is it about like horror movies that like when I was a kid, it was like a badge of honor that I could like sit through it. Oh, sit these, through it. Sit yeah. Through it. And I, I think that's exactly it. The fact that like you endured it. Yeah. It, it, sort of in a way on some like really super backwoods level is like, well, it's kind of like if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, yeah. that's your equivalent of, of like, a, like a fortitude test. It's your equivalent of like a, like a coming of age trial. Yeah. Instead of being dragged out into the woods and spooked by family members <laughs> yeah. so that now you're a man, it's like, okay, I you can... You sit through Friday the 13th. No, you sit through uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Sure. Yeah. I, had, I had the courage to, to not close my eyes. And, yeah, And it yeah. makes me feel a little, a little more like a grown-up. Yeah, totally. And I think like comedy is sort of similar but appeals to a totally different part of your brain. Instead yeah. of it being a thing of I the fear of it. Yeah. There's something about being able to laugh disarms the insecurities that you kind of feel on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I'd say that's true. There, there's just some kind of sense of like immunity in a way that like, oh, because I can laugh and because I'm surrounded by like-minded people who can also laugh, yeah. somehow things are less threatening. Somehow things are less afraid. They're, they're more manageable somehow. Yeah, I think that's true. I think often like I use... Like I use humor um, to speak sometimes. You know what I mean? A lot of times like I don't have anything to say. But like making a wisecrack or being like the sort of like silent in a room, like in a class, in a work situation, whatever. But then like being able to say that one funny thing that like sort of breaks tension, makes people laugh, uh, whatever. Like that's, yes, yeah, the, the, you just, you're, you're talking about um, fear or whatever. Um or bravery just brings to mind when people hear that I do this, they're just sort of like, it's so brave to get on stage. And I'm like, well, like sort of like a one-on-one conversation with a stranger is more frightening to me than being on stage. I couldn't agree more. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. In front of an audience who wants to, uh, like watch me and my group perform or hear a story that I have to tell. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that is, um, more comfortable. Uh, for me, you know what I mean. Um, well, because there's already like, okay, you've paid for the ticket, yeah. So you've already exchanged your right to object to a lot of this stuff. You've already communicated to me that you're willing to pay attention, yeah. Whereas, like, just in a regular low stakes conversation with somebody, like uh, uh, in the middle of the day on the street, there are too many variables flying yeah, back and absolutely. forth. Man, I don't know what's going <laughs> yeah, on. I don't know. And and like, it, it totally is like. I was thinking about this recently too, that like, um, you know, like archaically in our brains, we're still kind of grounded in this hunter hunted split. Yeah. Yeah. That's still on the most primitive emotional level that we're in. That's Mm -hmm. still how we engage the world. We just happen to live in a bubble of like relative safety. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that is every act of engagement that we have with another human being is communicating two things simultaneously Mm -hmm. it's communicating the level of involvement that we have with each other and reaffirming our social bonds with each other yeah but at the same time if we get too close to each other there is a feeling of like being engulfed or swallowed up there's a feeling of threat there's a feeling of either emotionally the anxiety of like i'm going to lose some of my some of the borders of my personality by giving in too much to your point of view yeah 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 or the actual physical threat of don't get too close because 
friends turn to enemies very quickly. Yeah. Right. And so like every single, it doesn't matter how polite the exchange is. It doesn't matter if what you're saying is like nice day today, isn't it? Yeah. There is a subtext on just like this really basic animal level of like sussing out how secure we are. Yeah. Reaffirming the level of friendship that we have, reaffirming how much I can rely on you and vice versa in a threatening situation. Yeah. Also communicating to you how much I want you to kind of keep your distance and back off. It's like the most basic conversation to me is just like fraught with fucking disaster and (laughs) uncertainty. I like, I don't know what is going on. That is so stressful. Being on a stage is totally different. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of like, I guess it's like, uh, even just like on a simpler level, like, uh, like an approval thing, Mm -hmm. like, are you okay with me? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, if, if I get like a blank stare from somebody that's, uh, yeah, that's like the most difficult thing to endure. Yeah. Like when I used to do stand up or whatever, people would say like, tell me a joke. And I'd be like, no, yeah. not going to do that because like, it's not the right context. And if you just sort of like look at me blankly after I tell you the joke, I'm going to feel horrible. Like yeah. I know that. So yeah. I'm not going to do it. Like yeah. we're not going to do that. I th- Hannibal Burris, I think has that great thing. I'm pretty sure it's Hannibal Burris uh-huh. or like somebody he's like on a date or he's like talking to a, to like a woman at a party. And yeah. He's like, Oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. And he goes through the whole thing of like, oh, should, uh, you want me to tell you a joke? Should yeah. I also, um, uh, should I make you buy two drinks? And should you also have to sit in a room with other people expecting to be entertained? And should you? And he goes through the whole list of like context. Yeah, 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 totally. To prepare you for the joke and like minus all that stuff, it's like fuck you. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean anything. To yeah, you. that's totally true. Yeah, yeah. I, I I guess I mean it too. Like there there is an act of like it. it so like you feel a little more courageous and you certainly feel respected when you can make people laugh. There's like yeah. a power to it. Yeah. But I think even from like a broader view for me, there's like, like Louis CK has that said that thing recently of like how like some things can't be joked about. And he's like that to me, that's the same thing as saying that some diseases, diseases are too be, serious to be. Yeah. Treated. Yeah. Yeah. That like you, you laugh at stuff in order to confront it. You yeah. laugh at stuff in order to, make it manageable and in order to kind of start to come up with solutions to it. And I think that that is totally true. That yeah. there's something about like just the element of being in, in a state of mind of, of laughing beyond just how it feels good, mm-hmm. but it, it creates a kind of like mental distance from you and the threats that you're confronting in these jokes or confronting in these ideas. Yeah. They're not quite in your face. They're not so close to you that, that anxiety is triggered. The laughter creates this space of like security and it creates this sense of like objectification that, okay, yeah. we can look at this horrible thing now from a safe distance. Yeah. I think there's also something to be said for everybody. When everybody laughs at a joke about something that's horrible, it's sort of like we're all sharing the same anxiety. It's oh, like a, yeah. it's a tacit understanding that we are, we all, see that are afraid of it can and like it's very nice right now to be able to laugh at it yes. like like if someone makes like a, like an aids joke or you know terrorism jokes yes. or something like that um there is a relief of somebody saying like the absolute worst thing um and that could you know to link back to like the provocative thing um saying like I don't know, like, because I, I don't like that sort of like, oh, I'm going to get in your face about like the truth and the reality and stuff like that. But I'm going to shit on the flag, man. Watch <laughs> me shit on the flag, man. Exactly. exactly. Um, oh, man, that just I just brought to mind Bill Hicks because like Bill Hicks for like when I was doing stand up, like Bill Hicks had like his resurgence because like his whole um, early 90s stand up, like perfectly mapped to the early 2000s as well. And everybody loved Bill Hicks. So it just created like 
these like really hardcore truth tellers, man, who like told you how like the world really works down. You know what I mean? And like, um, and it was just so horrible to watch. You know what I mean? Like, uh, all of these open micers just sort of like railing against, people in the audience, all of whom were comics who were about to get on stage and rail against the, you know what I mean? Like, um, I just found it so not trite, but just empty. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you weren't facing the same kind of potential backlash that he was facing, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever. And just sort of that like, um, automatic respect for, um, confrontation. Like, I think we talked about that like earlier. Um, but yeah, there is something, but on, so the other side of that is, yeah, there is something very um, valid about talking about the things that were the most. Because if you're talking about something that's off limits or too too soon or anything like that, there's got to be something. It's very charged, and it's, there's got to be some fear or some anger or something about that. And yeah, I guess like joking about it and making, particularly when you're in a group of people, like I think like being in theater, uh, in a comedy club, in a black box theater, like being among people watching something live, there's like, even though you're not speaking to anybody else in the audience, there's like a community of just responding to these people on stage and feeling like, I don't know, just some sort of, some sort of like strange connection or, or whatever. Like, yeah, being able to laugh at something that's uncomfortable, everybody together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's like a big relief in that. I think that's it. I, and to go back to that idea of like, well, we understand the mechanics of how sketch comedy work. We see it coming. Yeah. Why is it still, mm-hmm. why do we still come together to even like do it yeah. generally? I think that might actually be sort of the key to it. That like, you're looking for any excuse to just feel safe with company. Yeah. I, little, like the, the very fact of being surrounded by other people. Yeah. The company. Do you laugh out loud when you watch stuff at home? Sometimes. Yeah. Not, I very, not nearly as much as when I'm in a theater. Yeah, exactly. I very rarely do. Yeah. But like when I am out, I mean, I think I actually hear myself like trying to laugh louder because yeah. like I know that that just feels good to performers. Yeah. It feels good to me. Sure. To hear people laugh. And um, it just sort of gives, it just sort of like gives energy to people. But it's interesting like, yeah, when you're not in that group, you don't really laugh out loud. Yeah. Because like it's almost like... um like who am I? Because no one can hear this, you know. Part part of it is the laughter of just like reassurance to other people. Part of it is just yeah, that, that yeah. connection where you're kind of affirming of like, hey, we're all seeing the same thing together. Yeah, right? we yeah. all think this is funny. Yeah. Part of it is just like it feels good. It's just like the synergy of the room that yeah. like okay, it's like our collection of energies together that are allowing for a deeper, bigger expression of this laughter than anything else. Yeah. But I, I do think like so much of it too is just like uh, on a very basic level, there there's the security of company yeah and and there is a feeling of like we do we're social animals we've had to work together to survive we there's something reassuring about like we can tackle our problems yeah when we're together yeah and, and comedy is all about kind of creating this room where you feel a little bit safer yeah totally but like safer to confront danger yeah I guess that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because a like, comedy is all about like, a comedy stage to me is a gigantic pair of quotation marks. Yeah. You're letting everyone know this is all in quotes. Uh-huh. This is not really happening. We don't really mean this. Yeah. And then we are looking at, okay, what happens if the dumbest thing we can think of really happens? Yeah, yeah. What happens if we think of a world where everybody agrees to just accept this completely idiotic thing? Yeah, What yeah. happens if my ego, what happens if my ego is not checked by 
by feeling like I want people to accept me. What happens if yeah. I get so big that I actually follow those impulses? Yeah. And then we kind of look at, okay, what happens if that, if, and we see people get into trouble yeah. and you know what I mean? We see things being put to their own inevitable conclusions and we have a great time all together in company seeing that stuff happen. Yeah. You've, uh, um, I want to kind of talk a little more generally just about your experiences as a stand-up. Sure. Sketch comedian, yeah, improviser, yeah, and storyteller, because you've kind of evolved a little bit as you've gone, and and yeah, and how you approach the comedy, what your expectations of it are, how you bring yourself to it, what you're mining about your own experience, what you're looking for, how you relate to an audience, all that stuff has to evolve with you for each of those worlds. So yeah. I'm kind of curious, like what your what your kind of journey through comedy has been. Yeah, so like uh, I first started doing stand up. Uh, stepped on stage for the first time in July of 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, so stand up was like the first thing. Yeah, it's like sort of like speaking of like uh, you know freaks and geeks that um, the thing with uh, oh where he goes home and like you know makes the grilled cheese sandwich watching and, with Gary Shandling. and watches Gary Shandling. Like, yeah, like a lot of people sort of like yeah shed a little tear when they see that because yeah. it's like similar to their own lives. Yeah. I would just come home yeah and watch uh, yeah all the stand up I could and just loved it um so i always just thought like one day i would i would do stand-up so i did um and ended up like doing it i was one of those flyer dudes in uh times square for like a long time uh for like probably three years maybe just to like do um you know the same material over and over again um in the back of a hamburger restaurant um it was gladys's comedy room um and it was back in the back of hamburger harry's on 45th street and uh I guess Zach Galifianakis like started there like really early and like Judah Friedlander like showed up once just to say hi. And Jim Gaffigan came by and like a bunch of people had started there. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I really loved stand up. Well, actually here's the thing. I didn't find myself like saying anything all that interesting. Like it was pretty, all the bits that I was coming up with, um, were just about like, did you see this commercial? Wasn't that weird? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like after a while I was like, I think the things that I feel like talking about um, sort of aren't, or I'm realizing this in retrospect, anything that I wanted to talk about or sort of explore, like didn't really fit into jokes, mm-hmm. not stand-up jokes anyway. Um, and uh, my sort of breakup with stand-up came, I was, I've told this story a couple of times, like I was um, emceeing an open mic and uh, which is actually funny because it's, it's better than performing in an open mic because you get to get up a lot and just, talk with the room and stuff yeah um this dude like this really frustrated comic like uh he said like i'm from san diego and i came to new york to see the big apple do you guys want to see the big apple so he turned around took his balls out and turned back around to the audience and i was like i'm seeing a dude's testicles right now yeah I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, hey, that guy, to be fair, was yeah. only trying to tell his truth. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, see, I mean, like, I think like I'm just so close minded and square right. that like, I just wasn't able to receive it. Right. You know what I mean? And like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of squareness that a true stand up fights against. Some of us have testicles, Rob, but <laughs> the sooner you come to terms with it, the exactly. better. Um, and I had sort of hopped back around and then like sketch was cool. Cause I like writing and I like, um, all these sketch programs, like I said, I mean, we'll talk about the state again. I like, um, I've always loved Saturday night live. I'll always defend Saturday night live from the haters. Um, and what other, like any sort of sketch show on comedy central, like I really, I really enjoyed. So like the idea of like writing like a little play, like was kind of cool to me. So, uh, I enjoyed doing that. 
um, did that for a while. Um, did like, and like came bounced back and forth between that and improv. Um, and improv at first sort of was just so difficult that like, I didn't enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it was just very hard getting notes, just basically being like, okay, good scene. Everything you just did was really wrong. Uh, and it's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing here. And then, so I like left it for like a year or two and then like came back to it. Um, and then sort of discovered the magnet, um, through the, uh, coaching class. Mm-hmm. Um, were you, I think you may have been in that class. I think that's where we met. Yeah. Like I was just, I did like the, I was like free, free, coaching I'll take that sure and I just sort of like enjoyed the simplicity of it and like just the acting the people were just like acting and and like the humor was coming from the situations and I was like oh I kind of get it a Mm. little bit now and that's when I sort of like that's when like um my yeah improv journey I guess kind of like kicked into gear like when I started getting it it just started becoming so um enjoyable, Mm -hmm. you know? And what was it that you were getting? Just that sense that it could be simple, that sense that, that, yeah, I think, or just the, just that like, just getting like, um, laughs from the situation was very satisfying. Yeah. Like not like having to come up with anything, just sort of like, Oh, we're in this situation. Like what's something incongruous right now that's like going on and just like recognizing it and playing with it is Mm -hmm. like, just, I don't know. It was really fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really enjoyed improv. Um, I enjoyed the people in improv so much more. Um, and then I always loved solo performance. You know what I mean? On some level, like I took a solo performance class in college, loved stand up, but like just sort of wasn't finding some sort of unique voice or character or something like that, that like made it, um, that made me like take off with it. But then like with storytelling, um, it just sort of that like sort of like just really spoke to me. Um, I saw Adam Wade in a, in a show um, tell his Freddie the bus driver story. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that one? Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I was just sort of like, that's amazing. Because it's like, it's like funny, it's poignant, it's sad, it's happy. It's like all of these things together. Um, so it's like stand up, but you don't have to tell jokes mm-hmm. if you don't feel like it. But if you do, that's totally cool too. You know, I don't know. There was something and that's, and after I saw him tell that story, I signed up for his class. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I started doing storytelling. Yeah. So, um, like storytelling, I've just found that storytelling sort of like scratches the solo performance itch and like improv is like scratches, like the sort of like, just like sketch comedic acting itch too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they're like sort of like two separate tracks a little bit, um, but all, but both like inform each other as mm-hmm. well, you know, um, that was kind of a long answer, but no, it was a good yeah. answer. All right, cool. I, yeah. Like I, I, I'll tell you what has been kind of like jazzing me about improv recently. Yeah. Um, like when there's like, all right. So like the first stuff that really like makes you laugh. I've, I've told this story a bunch of times before too, I think on the podcast, but like when Megan and I first met, yeah. like I did not care for Megan when we first met. Uh-huh. The first time we like bonded was when we realized that we both had a mutual love for kids in the hall. And, okay. and yeah. then it was exactly that thing of like, Oh, we're on the same wavelength about a lot of this stuff. We yeah. find the same stuff funny. And, yeah, totally. And you just feel this like bond of like, okay, you're, you're now, I've just collected one more person who's part of my extended tribe of people. Yeah. And like early on, there's a thing of like, when you're an adolescent, shit's funny just because it makes you laugh. There's nothing. Yeah. It's just like, this is 
ridiculous. This is anti-authoritarian. This is whatever. This just like feels good. Yeah. And then when you start to take comedy a little bit more seriously, and I never did the stand-up route, but yeah. but I, I I certainly understand that thing of like racking your brains to try to construct good comedy. Yeah. And finding that like it starts to get really hard and it kind of puts you on this like search a little bit to figure out like, all right, what is the truth as I know it? Yeah. This shit that I'm trying to do is like technically comedy, but it doesn't really embody kind of how I live in the world or how I relate to the world. And and these days what I've been really enjoying about getting to improvise is, is uh, um, like more and more connecting with it as like, Oh, it's like an ongoing thing where the challenge is every time a little bit more than last time, not even to be funnier than before or to even be a better improviser. Cause I don't honestly, I don't think I'm, getting better as an improviser. Like, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen yeah. for the rest of my life. I don't think I'm getting better than I am. Yeah. Totally. That's not to say I'm great. It's just like, I don't, there's not going to be much of much improvement. Right. 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 So it's not about getting better as an improviser and it's not about figuring out better ways to play the scenes or, or, or to do these shows. And it's not about the funnier thing. It, it's about like a little bit at a time, more and more searching out, like, uh, how is my brain working? Uh huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think so. What is the world as I see it in reality, and how can I express that world in these scenes that I'm doing? Gotcha. Not how can I kind of think about like, isn't it weird that fill in the blank? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, wouldn't this be a funny premise if this is all believable, but then this happened and fill in the blank? Yeah. But more and more of like, you just let your own sense of humor come out. Yeah. It comes out of the situation that you're in. Yeah. And more and more these days, it's like, we'll just try to keep that situation authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it forces you to have to like pay more attention in real life. Yeah, totally. I feel, I guess, yeah, I think that like the, the most satisfying improv humor comes from discovery in the moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, well, that's the most trite improv thing anybody's ever said, but, um, like that is, that's the whole deal. It's, it's like, yeah, you're, you're listening. I don't know if I'd try and bring my own authentic life to improv, but as long as like I'm acting as honestly as I can on stage, something will just pop up and like, you just have to recognize that thing and go with it. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think like, uh, as I go forward with improv, like, have you ever heard the, uh, the thing about, I think like karate, like, you know, like yellow belt, red belt, brown belt, black belt or mm-hmm. whatever. Like when you, little kids take it, they like start with a yellow belt and then like you make it up to black belt. I heard something that like that comes from like when you're training in martial arts, you get a white belt at first mm-hmm. and then you know, you're done when your white belt is like totally black. Mm-hmm. Like you've just been at it that long. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It like, yeah. it like just, it gets worn like a pair of shoes that you've worn every day. That's what like <laughs> improv kind of feels to me. It's like, you're on this path and it's like, I've never felt myself getting better, but I know if I look back at what I was doing five years ago, I know that I'm better. Right. It's like by continuing to do it, like call it like a muscle, call it a practice, call it whatever it is. Like it's about like you get more robust. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not like, cause like you just get less rattled when something annoys you on stage. You know what I mean? Like I feel like in your first class show, you step on stage and like, Oh, I hope I do well. I hope yeah, I do right, well. Right, I hope right. I do well. And that's not the, that's not the thing. Like, um, 
cause you go up there like really nervous and that's just, you're going to screw up with that mindset, but it's hard to not have that mindset. You know what I mean? Like, and then you think to yourself, don't be nervous, don't be nervous. And then like screws you up. But, um, now it's just sort of like, um, the more I do it, the more like stuff I have in my rear view mirror. Do you know what I mean? Like I just feel like, Oh, I've done this so many times, which can lead to like too much comfort. And then you screw up again and you're like, Oh, I'm still capable of fucking this up, which is good. But like, yeah, it's, it's sort of, um, the, yeah, the, the improv journey is just sort of like, just it, like, it's a practice, like, you know, meditation or something like that. It just, you don't really, it doesn't click. You just sort of wake up one day and you're like, Oh, I can do this now. I just sort of feel like I can do this. The the right pathways have kind of eroded in place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had like, um, a little bit of an epiphany this week. Um, this is going to sound incredibly stupid, but Mm. I was, I was walking home and somebody left a note in their in the front door of their apartment building. So I stopped to read the note and the note was to the delivery person, the FedEx person yeah, saying that in apartment four, the buzzer is still broken. So please call this number. Yeah. But the note was written. It was like, um, my dearest delivery, my dearest <laughs> FedEx, uh-huh. um, person, um, the buzzer for apartment store is still broken. Yeah. Please find it in your heart. <laughs> if it's not putting you too much out of your way to call this number when you need to come into the, and you know, um, I've written you a haiku and, and, and <laughs> this person wrote a haiku, love Amy in apartment four or like whatever it was. Yeah. And I thought like, uh, well, that's a great, that's just a great little thing. Yeah. And then the thought occurred to me of like, that's going to find its way into one of my shows soon. Yeah. And, and not in the way that like, I'm it, just like that detail that remembering that that was on a door. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to come out, but it, it, just this crystal clear thought of like, that's being tucked away and that's going to find its way into a show. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next thought that I had was you spend so much time when you're improvising thinking about, okay, how do I make this funny? Yeah. I guess I've been reading a lot of like TJ and Dave book, TJ and Dave, Dave's book recently. So, so, so I've had it in my head of like the difference between inventing funny stuff versus like treating your show as if it's all already out there and it's just waiting to be discovered. Yeah. yeah. And so your job is to kind of uncover a little bit at a time what's already waiting. Yeah. I, I subscribe to that. I, I do I too. Like that. Yeah. I like that as well. So it occurred to me walking home that like, Oh, wait a minute. It's not going to come from just being on stage. Yeah. It actually comes from noticing a bunch of stuff in the real world. Yeah. And then one day I'm going to be on stage and that haiku that this woman wrote for the FedEx guy Mm -hmm. is going, is just waiting to be discovered in the right moment. That detail is going to come out and that's going to help me. And it like occurred to me that like, Oh, all of my improv education at this point is like what I'm experiencing on a day to day basis. Yeah. Yeah. And being receptive to it and cognizant of it and just kind of not thinking about what to make of it, just kind of like seeing the shit around me and paying attention to it and, Mm -hmm. and and being careful about it. That is what is being waited to be discovered. That's it's all being put inside this computer and it's all going to come out in improv later on. Yeah. Um, and so like, it, it makes me think of like that thing of like the big truths of like, the Bill Hicks imitators who just like waste your time by going up to like expose you to the big truths. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, I don't trust that shit because it, it like, first of all, I don't, I don't, the big truth of the capital to me is capital T in my opinion is like a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. The older you get, the more you find that that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but second off, it's like, well, if you really want to have this like affected experience uh, uh, and you really want to create an impact and you really want to see a show that speaks to you, my bet is that it's not going to come from watching the person who has a desperate need for self-expression and to yeah. tell it like it is. Yeah. My bet is that it comes from a person who is gracious enough to get over themselves and to simply use and respond to the little tiny details that they have really seen and really yeah. experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I think like that's, yeah, that was like a really big, that's a really big, um, sort of like turning point in is like a, like a breakthrough for improv when it's just sort of like, you just realize like, um, like what are you, it's when like, there's a, a detail that needs to come up in a scene. And like, when you start out, you're like, what's the funniest detail? And it's like, no, not what, not, what's the detail. Just say the detail. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It'll don't worry. It'll be, it'll be fine. It'll keep growing. Just say the detail. Like, like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go learn about animal husbandry because I really like jerking off horses. You know, it's like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to see a movie. Mm-hmm. Like that's a better answer than, do you know what I mean? Much I don't know. Better. When you, um, yes. When, when just the stuff and like, I believe in like sort of like the, the seed of an improv scene or show or whatever, like it will just by the very nature of it grow Mm -hmm. into something. As long as like you keep like paying attention, it will like grow from something mundane into something worth seeing. And yeah, all the mundane stuff comes from, yeah, our day to day lives that you see everything. Yeah. And like even paying attention to like the nice surprises, like a haiku for a FedEx guy, like that definitely, that definitely helps. Um, yeah, totally. That's well, cause I think that like when it's like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to jack off a, a horse. Yeah. That's all about you. That, that line has nothing to do with anything other than you need a laugh right now. Yeah, totally. It's, it's putting yourself front and center, which for a young improviser, for a person who's 19 years old. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It's what you're going to do. <laughs> it's what you need. Yeah. But there comes a point where like that isn't helping the show anymore and it's not helping me to figure out what I'm doing. And it's, it's also not helping me to like, again, figure out how my brain is working. Yeah. Like there, there comes a point where it's like, I'm as good at this as I'm going to be. Yeah. It's no longer about showing you how good I am. It's like doing uh, the form. Yeah. I want to get beyond hack jokes. I want to, I don't want to just tell you how weird it is that airlines don't serve food anymore. Yeah. I actually want to apply my sense of humor to situations that I yeah. experience and relate to. But yeah, also it's just, but it's like, I think it's like also a learning thing. It's like, it's not like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do hack jokes anymore because that's not what this is about. It's almost like I did that hack joke like 15 times. Yes. I didn't get a laugh yes. any time. Yes. Like that was, don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. When, when I first started doing improv, one of the most annoying things to me was, eh, that's a transaction scene. Eh, that's a teaching scene. Totally. Like, don't stop it. And then like, and then like I started doing, people would stop doing that. And then I was like, I just did a teaching scene. It didn't go anywhere. I just did a transaction scene. It didn't go anywhere. It's like, Oh, that's the reason you have to like learn the reason why to do these things like through repeated failure, Mm -hmm. you know? But yeah, it's yeah. Sorry. Where was your original point? It was about like, Oh yeah. Like sort of getting your own ego out of the way to like serve the, the show, I guess. Yeah. I, that like, well, they're, they're just, I think it has to do with like trust, right? That yeah. like the trust is that w- there is something really funny waiting for us just down the bend and, yeah. and we are going to arrive at it because we are inherently funny people and yeah. because we're on a, a similar wavelength. Yeah. But that in improv, unlike, unlike 
like stand-up is a little bit more of like a professional thing. Yeah. It has to be polished. This has to. Oh yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. Sketch is a little more of a professional thing. There has to be a premise to this. There has to be an idiotic idea in the core of, of a, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm particularly addicted to improv because it doesn't, it's not obligated to those responsibilities. Yeah. You don't have to go in with the assumption that uh, we have we have worked out the polish of this, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying that to disparage either of those. Like, yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah, but what I find particularly exciting about improv these days, yeah. as of 2016, yeah. is learning a little bit at a time to let go of my need to apply stand up ish or or sketchish standards to it. Yeah, and and to just assume that like oh all the off stage work. Of basically just living your life and paying attention and being interested in things and talking to people yeah and and just like seeing things as clearly as you can yeah truth with a small t yeah not the big fucking not the <laughs> yeah, big conspiracy the, the, the mind-blowing like let me tell you how it really is not truth. that shit just yeah. a note that somebody left on their door for the fedex guy the, yeah, li- yeah. the little tiny truths but seeing it clearly and not trying to fuck with it and not trying to turn it into something else just like seeing it and that to me is like the offstage work of being an improviser. Yeah. Like see shit clearly. Yeah. Talk to people and connect with people about things other than comedy. Yeah, definitely. Trusting that all that shit is going to come out when you need it. Yeah. When you're improvising with someone yeah. who's, who's on the same frequency as you. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I like because then it's not about chasing the laugh anymore. It's about, it's about, all right, what have I seen? Here's yeah. my opportunity to share with you what I've seen. And yeah. not the big crazy things, but just like the little things that I've seen that I've passed by every day that I didn't notice, this is what I'm sharing with you. And it's not like expressing my deepest inner self yeah. because I don't know what my deepest inner self is. Yeah, I, I exactly. don't, I, that's well, inaccessible to it's me. Also, it's, it's also revealed through what you talk about a totally. lot of times. Yes. Like that's sort of like, I'm sort of like, if I, I've done this for a while now and when I look back at like the things that I, tend to talk about it's like oh there is kind of a pattern here right like i'm not trying to um you know i want to cultivate a you know a persona in which i talk about these things it's just sort of like i'm talking about what i want to talk about or i'm sort of like these behaviors occur as i'm improvising in my shows um, and I just look back and realize, oh, I did those things. Yes. There must be a reason for that. Um, but yeah, I'm not like, yeah, exactly. And, and it must, it must come from, well, it must, it does come from, yeah, just living life day to day. There, there, there is a thing of like, if you go up with the agenda to self-express, yeah, it, it's almost self-defeating in yeah. a way. It, when you're improvising, it's self-defeating because, yeah. because it, it really there's like a larger message behind it, which is like the image of myself that I'm attempting to communicate to yeah. through what I'm expressing. Yeah. I've kind of predetermined the image of myself that I want you to see. Yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah, yeah that, that's also like another thing that you learn like not to do, yeah. I think, because it just doesn't work. Yeah. There's no, how would you do that? Yeah. You know, how would you sort of cultivate that image? I, I have no idea. It's impossible. Yeah. It, it, and, and I think that's like, to me, what's so exciting right this second yeah. is like, okay, let's spend 10 to 15 years learning how to do this. <laughs> yeah. And now that we've gotten that work out of the way, yeah. now let's learn how to like simplify this shit. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always difficult. It's, I don't think, I don't know if I've thought in terms of like how to simplify it, but like I have thought of that thing that you said, like I'm trying to do the least amount of work on stage. Isn't that, uh, the, the, the thing that you've said yes. a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that a lot. Um, 
but yeah, it's, yeah, just finding that, not that improv is simple, but finding the simple thing in it mm-hmm. to just to, to improvise around. Yeah. That's finding like that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. The core of whatever's going on, like right in that moment we like, so the wrath, like we just, we're having like a weird, we were having like a weird time and just, um, we, our last rehearsal, Sebastian was just like, you guys just have to connect, just connect with each other and that's it. And it's just very simple. It's like, yeah, that's right. We haven't been, yeah. we've been talking about stuff. Yeah. We haven't been like connecting and affecting each other and well, just a very simple thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't know. It's a satisfying note to basically be like, oh yeah, it's like not the connection is a simple thing, but like just that should be your aim. Yeah. And like knowing your aim is like a good thing. I've, uh, I I want to talk about the wrath for a, a minute. Sure. Um, uh, now I'm on record as calling the wrath one of the one of the best teams ever at the Magnet. Oh wow! Thank you. Um, uh, you guys have also been together for what four years? Over four years. Over four yeah, years. it was four years in October. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm curious to hear like some of the like. W- some of the highs and lows of being with a long-term team Mm. Um, because there is a little bit of like being in a long-term relationship to a team. And there is, I do think that you can start to take each other for granted sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you can start to go through the motions sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think both of those things would count as lows. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But then there's also the similar high of just like a long-term relationship of like, there's an intimacy and a knowledge of each other and an effortless, an ease and a trust and a trust. Yeah. So like, what have you gotten from, from your time with the wrath? Um, so yeah, I think like, I agree with all with the, like the lows are, uh, yeah. When you sort of like, aren't, Yeah, when you take the group for granted and you take each other for granted and like, I don't know, sort of like bail on some stuff. Although like none of us really do. It's just even like one or two missed rehearsals and I'm like, mm, what do you, why? <laughs> you know, um, but uh, and just, yeah, when it gets to seem like uh, here we are, we rehearse, we've been rehearsing on Mondays from nine to 11 for the whole time. Yeah. Um, and it just can't, it just never changes. Um, and like that can be like, that's rough, you know, Um and, but like, yeah, as, as you said, like the highs come from like knowing these people, like trusting these people, like the thing that we did, like around the four year anniversary was like, we did like this, like sampling of all these different shows and we did. So like, yeah, like, like a long-term relationship, like when you like experience something new, like, ex- like doing something new with that person is really great. You know, like sharing something with that person is awesome. Um, so like when we did like the musical improv show, like that was like really fun cause we were all really nervous for it and it was one of the best shows we've ever done. It was like amazing. It was really fun. Um, and so like, yeah, like when just, yeah, all those things, the, the trust of these people, the being on the same page, being friends and yeah, that's sort of like the effortlessness that comes from having put the time in. Um, that's like probably the best part mm-hmm. of being on that team. Um, have I learned anything from it's hard because like, yeah, this is probably the best team that I've ever been on. Uh, I don't have much to compare it to. So yeah, it's just been, it's been great to the rehearsing for four and a half years from nine to 11 on Mm -hmm. a Monday night, which is just a terrible, terrible, Mm -hmm. terrible time to rehearse. Indeed. Um, even that in and of itself is like, well, everybody has to make a sacrifice to do that. Yeah. 
and, and not, I assume that you guys don't sit around and talk about all the sacrifices that you're making, No, but just kind of knowing that people are there regularly committed to that. Yeah. It makes such a huge difference to, 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 to in the way that you are more prepared to step up and, and kind of bring what you have to bring to a group. Yeah. You know, whereas like, there's a little bit of like self implosion that happens when everybody wants things to be very comfortable and they want things to happen fast. Yeah. They want a group to gel immediately. Yeah. And you guys gelled actually pretty quickly. Yeah. But that was only after most of the team had already been through like three or four different teams that didn't gel nearly as well. There was already like yeah. a level of experience and professionalism and maturity among you guys when you finally came together that was like, okay, you just pretty much took off immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, I think that was a big thing with us. There was like, yeah, it was sort of like the having no illusions about like getting cut or any of that stuff, having experience. Although I think it was Ross and Scott's first team mm-hmm. and Charlotte's too, even though she left like, I think after a year, year mm-hmm. and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, um, definitely like some gelling there. Uh, I'm definitely like a lot of experience, a lot of maturity, like not, no, there was no drama with us ever. Um, but yeah, and even the additions like gelled really, really fast because of the, that, the same thing, like when Emily came on and then when Alexis came on, um, Steve Slate and, uh, and Mike Dwyer as well. Um, some of them are still with us. Some not. Um, but, uh, yeah, it always was very smooth because of that, because of the people having experience and like being professional and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the vibe in the group has always been really great. Um, which is awesome, you know? Um, yeah, it's hard. Wow. That's, it's weird. Like I, it is part of my day to day life, you know? So like in terms of talking about like bringing your day to day life to your improv, you know, like, um, going to, it's such like a routine for me now that that's like part of my life. It's sort of like a improv snake biting its own tail, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's awesome. I like being in my thirties, man. Yeah, it's good. It's good shit. 30s are superior to the 20s yeah. so far. Oh, yeah. I, there, and there's a lot, uh, like, I, I, there are anxieties to the 30s, especially the kind of life that we live in, the corner of comedy that we live in, yeah. the corner of theater that we live in, or, or performance or whatever. Yeah. We're like, uh, we don't make any money. <laughs> there's we, that, the, yeah. The path to success is unclear at best. Yeah. What all, any of this is supposed to do do or, or or where it's supposed to go is like very very murky and and there are like the insecurities and anxieties of especially like when you hit to be like our age group yeah and you see your friends like putting the work in or climbing or moving to hollywood or or yeah. you, you just start to see like success happening around you yeah and there's a little bit of a thing in your 20s where you can still be optimistic and then in your 30s you start to kind of like okay yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. But a little bit. I have been finding that that is richly compensated for by the more positive thing that like uh, in my thirties now, like the surface is wearing away a little bit. Yeah. And, and there's more of a sense of like maturity among myself and my peers, more of a feeling of like, let's just do there, there's less of like a panicky thing of like, I have to do it all. I have to, and I have to impress everybody. I have to, and more of like a sense of like, cool. I'm at peace with who I am. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that is like the, the sense of peace of like what you're doing. Yeah. And, um, also just sort of like 
this is who I am a little bit, <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like you, you, you have like a, you have like a, a self file. Mm-hmm. You can like go back and like look through your own file and be like, no, I didn't like, I, I, I just sort of am this person a little bit. Um, I sort of like came to this realization, like, um, someone I know was, uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was a surgeon and he, uh, stopped practicing medicine and just started painting. And I said to myself, like, if I got terminal cancer, like, what would I do? I would probably continue doing improv shows Mm -hmm. and storytelling shows. You know what I mean? And like, it wouldn't bother me that like, I'm not in a mansion like somewhere because like, I'm such a successful actor or comedian or whatever, like to a certain extent, like at the, like being able to do this, it's just great. Um, it can be frustrating. I get frustrated all the time with like, I don't know. I have this like obsession with just like being better no matter what it is. You know what I mean? Like I just sort of feel like, Oh, I should be working harder. I should do that. I think it's a very, I don't know if it's a me thing, if it's an American thing, you know? Um, but like at the end of the day, like this is what I do. You know what I mean? I've been doing it for a long time now. I clearly enjoy it. I don't think I'm going to stop. Um, and I, and I just, I'm cool with that. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I do improv, like I do storytelling. Like I, I pay attention to these things. I feel like I'm okay at it and I get some satisfaction from it. And like there, and like, that's kind of, I don't say like, and that's enough, but like, it's kind of enough sometimes. Do you well, know what I mean? It definitely puts it in a different perspective because it, it like, Aging as an improviser, yeah, you find yourself stressing about like, I should be doing more. I should, yeah. I should have worked harder ten years ago. Yeah, I can work harder now, but I'm going to have another beer and and, and <laughs> see how I feel tomorrow. Yeah, there's a lot of that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there there is like a lot of of the the kind of like anxiety of like, man, am I doing not improv? Am I like? doing life okay yeah or, or am i just like a lazy piece of shit yeah it's hard to say it uh, is because uh, like it's weird when you the, the thing that i've always said about like careers and comedy and stuff like that like nobody you don't ever like if you go to law school you can be a lawyer afterwards you know what i mean but if you like and if you go to med school you get to be a doctor afterwards if you learn about accounting in college you can be an accountant but like if you learn the craft of comedy or acting or any sort of art there's no guarantee whatsoever that you're ever going to make a like a dime from it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but like, so I, I know like really smart, interesting people who also do this thing with me. And like, I kind of have to trust myself that like, we're not all just lazy pieces of shit. Like it's, it's, I, I, it, the, this, this sort of this thing that we do and the things that we want to do are, pretty random sometimes like how successful you get at it or what opportunities you get or i mean there's definitely like you can always work harder at something um but i don't, I don't know well know? it's the thing of like so you know you measure yourself against kind of like um accomplishment worldly, yeah worldly accomplishment social accomplishment yeah all that stuff but there is of like when you put that like clock on it of like man if i were diagnosed stage four tomorrow yeah would i get on stage and continue to, to play. It's like, 
Yeah. Fucking A. Yeah, yeah exactly. I would. I would. Absolutely. And it, like, it certainly puts a perspective on that of like, oh yeah, as you're like worried and you should be worried. It's a right worry to have. You yeah. should be kept up at night. You should be thinking about it. Don't be a lazy asshole. Yeah. But also like, oh yeah, there is a value beyond just like the tangible thing of what you can prove. It, yeah. It, a little bit. It, it's yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, how did you live your life? Yeah. You know, like, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And like, this is, this is what I do. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to like, there's a, um, I wish I could state it more eloquently, but like, there's just sort of like a, at the end of the day, I'm going to do this kind of feeling that I have. And there's like a comfort to that for sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Rob Penty, folks. Thanks for talking, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We've come a long (laughs) way from Stella's dildos. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You also have a blog, Rob, an excellent blog. It is called actually it's robpenty.org. Dot com <laughs> dot org is D-O-T-O-R-G. A lot, a lot of the blog is kind of an extension of your storytelling as well. Very, yeah. Very like personal, very beautiful, very moving, really mm. smart. Thank you. Please check it out. Um, anything you'd like to plug before we go? Um, come see The Wrath on Thursdays, man. It's a block party. Come see The Boss. <laughs> come see it all. Come, hey, hang out on block party, you guys. Hey, I'll see you there, huh? Yeah. Thursday. We'll make a night of it, gang. <laughs> Uh, that's it for this episode thank you Rob thank you everybody for listening thank you to our producer Evan Ford Barden thank you to our engineer Grant Michael Goldberg thank you to our executive producer Ed Herbstman and all of you fine people for listening people that was people I don't know what the other word was but they got fused together and I said (laughs) it incorrectly all of you fine people for listening if you enjoyed this episode please give us a positive shout out on iTunes we sure would appreciate it thanks again for listening thanks Rob Penty bye bye you've been listening to the Magnet Podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.